This is Voices of the Industry, the Apps Alliance podcast. Hello, this is Jacob Goldstein of the Application Developers Alliance, and today I'll be talking to Dirk Tukok, the founder and CEO of MobTest. Dirk has 15 years of experience in software development despite coming from a psychology background, and today we'll be discussing areas relevant to both of those fields. We'll discuss the role of testing in both usability and quality assurance in the application development process, and we'll also discuss recent events such as Facebook's now notorious test on the effects that its news feed has on its users' emotional states, and the ways that the increasing pervasiveness of wearables and other mobile technologies could lead to more tricky questions about A-B testing and the ethics of applications and their effects on our emotional state. Before we get started, Dirk, I was wondering if you wanted to tell us a little bit about what MobTest does. Uh, sure. Uh, thank you, Jacob, for having us. So MobTest helps uh, mobile developers to create better apps, and we do this by offering user testing for their mobile applications. So in general, we believe that mobile apps will be tested in multiple ways, including various forms of automated testing. However, we focus more on the user experience and less on the technical quality of, of applications. So we do this by offering testers to our clients. Um, these are just regular users all over the world who for a small fee will uh, test their applications. And our platform has these tools to do the distribution of mobile applications outside of the app stores and to give instructions and to gather feedback in various ways. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, I, I was wondering to just sort of to get started by, by talking about the start, um, I think that, that everyone in the development space realizes at this point that testing is, is an important part of the design process. But when do you think you should start testing if you're a developer? Is it at the concept stage? Is it when you're doing your first couple of builds? And what kind of testing do you think should begin early? Yeah, uh, uh, interesting question. Uh, I think you should start testing actually before you do design and before you do uh, any software development. And that really ties into the whole lean startup movement where I'm a big fan of. And it's about every stage you make certain decisions that uh, are based on assumptions. And my philosophy is that you should always validate those, those assumptions. So before you actually build something, the, the first question is, okay, so who, who is your target market and, and what is a specific problem that you're trying to solve? So that is just market research. Uh, right, that uh, uh, things you should be doing. Uh, just go out and identify the people that you think you're going to be uh, building this application for, and just ask them a, a bunch of questions about you now. What do you do right now? What are the problems that you are experiencing? Um, that is very basic uh, work that you can do. Um, the next step, when you think you're going towards you know a certain direction where you want to have your your solution, you should just go to the same people or, uh, and, and, and show them like very simple prototypes of what you, you, you're going to build. And that doesn't have to be like a, a running application. It can just be something on paper. It can just be like mock-ups in a PowerPoint presentation where you just walk them through the screens and ask them, hey, do, do you understand what is the application for? Would it be something that would be useful to you? And what do you think of our solution? How how we are trying to help you with uh, with your problems? Yeah, yeah. I think that, that that market research is something that a lot of of uh, especially smaller development jobs 
don't think about as much. Um, but I was wondering, it's also a question of, of resources because market yep. research in the traditional way we think about it, where, you know, you have large companies running surveys and, and looking at demographics is not a, is not easy to do, uh, for a, for a small company. Yep. What do you think, what kinds of resources do you think that a smaller app developer who wants to do market research to try and test whether or not there's going to be consumers for their app should be doing? Yeah, it's uh, that's the whole thing with the whole testing. Um, in general, uh, testing takes time. And even worse, you'll have um, things that come out of your testing that will indicate that what you've been building isn't good enough. It's not going to cut it. So the question is, do you want to focus solely on your on your um, software development and build it and just put it out there and just pray to the gods uh, that everything will work out? Um, I would always recommend to do testing. Um, definitely, there's the budget question. So it's about being smart with the limited resources you, you have. So... Um, Yes, there are market research firms that will you know, start at $100,000 to do research for you. Um, I can t- totally understand that people do not have those kind of budgets. Um, so it's about being smart about uh, this, right? So um, it's also about just a mental process to go through as, as, a, as, as an app developer. Is just think about that question, like who, who is your uh, new target market? And then, you know, as an individual, just go out, um, ask a few people, like, you know, what do you think? You know, what is the problem that you're experiencing? And ideally, you'll have, like, thousands of respondents that give you answers on, on, on various questions that you have. But just asking, like, 10 or 20 or 30 people a bunch of questions but early on will already guide you towards, like, come up with a solution that, in the end, will be so much better and will save you so much work. Um, and you know we'll create a better application for you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, and um, I think that that's something that that should be that developers should be thinking about, especially people who already have apps out there. Is you know using your existing customer base to test out your new ideas. Yeah, because they're people that you know are interested generally in the kinds of things you do, and I think that's a that's a great resource. Now, I was wondering if you wanted to talk because we sort of started to walk through. Um, the like outline of of the testing process, which I think I know that that you believe, and I think also I believe um, goes along with the uh, with the development process, where you should be testing at every stage. Mm-hmm. The impression I've always got to admit is, as you are getting more and more formal in your development, you also get more and more formal in your testing. You probably start with testing your concept kind of informally, a few surveys, talking to people, as you discussed. Um, and then, you know, you move sort of through to more technical testing and then sort yeah. of rigorous usability testing. And then finally, once you've released the apps, you have, you know, kind of the the regimented A-B testing. Is that mm-hmm. the way that it works? Or do you think that there's that there's more room for informal stuff later in the development process? Or do you need to start being more formal? Or or, or how does the, the flow of testing along with the flow of development work? There are certain moments when you need to be extremely precise about how you do your testing and focus a lot of attention, in particular technical quality before you launch a major release or, or, or in particular like the first release. The first release for a mobile application is extremely important. Um, 
there is no excuse of, of launching an application with 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 you no know, critical bugs in it, right? A mm -hmm. bug that somebody encounters in the first minute is guaranteed um, that this person will, you know, if one or two bugs, two crashes at the first launch, you know, you're guaranteed that person is not going to come back. So don't get me wrong, that's really important to um, have that QA testing up front for, uh, before a, a, a launch. Um, I think the lightweight process is always going to be important as it shouldn't get too much in the way. Right, that is kind of the thing that um, it's, it's why why traditionally software developers don't really like testers that much because they come up with a now a long list of, of issues to fix and you as a software developer just focusing on getting an app out and uh, but then suddenly like you're two days before your launch and you get a long list of, of items that you need to fix and you're like oh no I don't really like that um, so I would I would recommend to do testing actually more often but not too big like don't have like yeah. a month long testing uh, phase for quality but also user experience um, and, and just keep it more lightweight so that means that your testing is not going to be you know, exclusive where, where you, every single item that should be tested is, is completely fully tested uh, but just choose your areas of focus and you know what you're saying like you should after our launch, always start doing your A/B tests, uh, which is you know, just a new thing for mobile. Um, there's not a whole lot of frameworks yet, but like the last year, there's at least four or five companies that jumped onto this, and it's 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 kind of hard with with A/B testing for mobile because we're kind of used to doing it on the web and web with HTML. As these tools have a lot of power, that it's very easy for them to modify HTML. So so like taglines button colors, uh, whole flow is actually really um, good to manipulate via these tools. And we're just getting there with um, with mobile. Uh, but after after you launch, you know, going to a new release, you actually go through a whole new cycle, right? So you're about thinking about new features, uh, improving certain features, um, start testing right away, doing like small informal tests that just take a couple of days and, and get that feedback as soon as possible to um, to uh, use that input for for further development. Yeah, there's there's a couple things there I wanna I wanna kind of dig into, and and the first is when you talk about sort of keeping the scope of your testing small, or which mm -hmm. is what I, I think you're talking about. What what I'm sort of like the metaphor that it's that it's thing you think of is that when you're doing a home remodel, they always say that you're you're supposed to finish one room first when you're mm -hmm. like, rebuilding your house, so that you have somewhere to go that's done. And that's sort of what the impression is. is that sort of what you're getting at? So that like you want to know that a certain aspect of your app is good before you start moving on and testing something else or else it's easy to become overwhelmed. Or do you mean that, or is it more like you want to make sure that your technical house is in order before you start thinking too much about usability and user flow? No, the latter thing I would definitely not do. Right. Okay. So, um, waiting for for technical um, quality to be high enough to start doing usability testing. One outcome of your usability testing might be that you have to rewrite major parts of your software. So then you know, you're going back to having to you know, do some real software engineering. Mm -hmm. So I, I would always want to do both and kind of know where you're going with, with what you're working on. Um, so um, that metaphor of the house... 
I would definitely, um, so, so when doing testing, and it is both about quality and, and usability testing, it's extremely important with mobile applications to know what is your primary use case. Um, in gaming, we call this the core loop. So it's really important to know what are the, the, the parts of the application that you're building that are going to drive most of the users, most of the retention. And that is definitely where you should focus most of your attention to also as early as possible. And, and that will deserve the most care and the most rewrites after you've done your research or your usability research, right? Um, so go there, uh, get that nail that first and then move on to like secondary use cases uh, and and go through the same cycle where you build something that is good enough to to test put it out there and get like 10 to 20 people to to test that part of the application and then use that feedback to improve the usability and at the same time keep on working on the technical um, aspects of, of the application yeah, so perhaps like the the more apt metaphor would be to say that you start with the with making sure that your primary use case is is completely worked out both technically and in terms of of usability and that's sort of the foundation of the, of the house and then you start building additions onto that um, in your secondary use cases and yeah. alternate functions um, and I wanted to 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 go from there to talking a bit about, um, you mentioned briefly, uh, updates and, and testing mm-hmm. and updating your app after it's released. And I think that that's something that, that doesn't get talked about a lot in, in the design process. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about A-B testing and app updating, do you think how, how much of that is, where do you think that mix is in terms of quality assurance versus usability and also adding new functionality? Do you think that it's that it's mostly that most of those updates should be about, you know, squashing bugs that come up because obviously you can't nail all of them, hopefully mm-hmm. you nail the big ones? Or do you think that it's more about um, increasing the functionality or smoothing out any functionality problems that you have? Uh, I think it's always both. Um, but so, so one of the uh, things with usability testing was always uh, that um, it would always be done after the first release, which I think is so weird to do because it's, it's like usability quality, not also like a primary quality of your application, right? So no, no, let's first launch your application and then we do the usability testing. I, I think this should go hand in hand and it also goes for, for updates, right? So you will always have like bugs that you fix and uh, that need to be put up right away because your app has like 5% crashes overall. You know, that, that's a technical issue that needs to be tackled. Um, but look at the major players like uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Foursquare, like they keep on doing new things with their applications, both from a, a technical perspective but also from a from a user perspective. I think Facebook has in the last five years at least put out Three complete rewrites of their mobile uh, iOS application, right? Yeah. So, and and that is both for technical quality and usability. Um, so it's it's an ongoing process where 
you want to keep on improving your application, you widen the, the number of, of uh, functions that you uh, offer to your end users, and that always requires both technical testing and, and usability testing. And that should always go, go hand in hand. And the, again, the good thing is if you do have your app out there, um, you have like real data from real users. That's one thing that is, is actually really important to always have in a mix because doing usability testing, whether it's in a lab or it's remotely done, it's always kind of like a fake situation where you you put your testers in a situation where their motivation is completely different from uh, an actual end user out there. Yeah. So you, you have a tester that you pay 10 bucks to, um, you know, if you ask that person, hey, do you like my application? Do you know what he's going to say? He's going to say yes. Whereas if it's just a, a user that downloaded your application and is trying out for a minute and is like, I don't understand what the application is for, I don't like it, then they're just going to abandon it. And that information is actually extremely important to, to have as well. So that's, you know, being out there. Um, and then you can, you know, seeing the user's patterns and then doing some real exper experimenting with A-B testing to figure out, you know, what are like um, small, A-B testing is mostly about like small details about how you implement certain things. Mm -hmm. and in particular, Facebook is kind of known for like putting like versions out there that are completely different for, for certain users, like navigation that's completely different. And you'll have your phone and then suddenly the friend next to you has like a completely different navigation where it's the same version of the app. And that, that's kind of amazing that they uh, they do that. It's kind of scary sometimes as an end user to see that, that they're running these experiments. Um, but I guess for our business, it's vital to keep on iterating on you know, a version and figure out like how can we improve it to you know make it better for all the users. Yeah, I mean we could talk about Facebook testing policies for for days. I mean they're mm. they're a really interesting company in that way. And and the first thing I wanted to mention because I think it's sort of the the interesting design point that Facebook brings up is that every time you see that complete rewrite from Facebook, the same thing um, happens. Uh, where where everyone complains for yeah. a while and, yeah. well, yeah. we want the old Facebook back, and then eventually they just stop complaining and start using it. Yeah. But do you think that uh, a developer who has an application that's sort of less, you know, bed into the daily lives of an entire generation of people than a Facebook is going to have problems implementing major design changes like that once the app is out in the world? Or do you think that if the app, if you know you're testing it and the complete rewrite works much better from a usability test standpoint and works better for your primary use case, that you should just go for it. And and you know if you alienate a couple of users, uh, that's something that you have to live with. Yeah, obviously Facebook has um, the the advantage of. of um, one having an extreme big user base, second a user base that comes back extremely frequent. Um, so that means that you know, and when somebody encounters like a new interface, it'll be at first uh, be inclined to like, oh, I don't like it, I don't want to use it anymore. But then it's like, hey, it's Facebook, you have to go back. Mm -hmm. So, so you, I mean, you're right that there might be slightly bigger risk for for other companies, and that if you have a user that's not as faithful yet, and then you know, you, you confront them with a completely new interface, that might be enough to turn them away, right? So yeah. 
I, I agree. You should be careful with that sometimes. At the same time, you have to, uh, you know, if it's when we do beta testing and you you ask like explicit feedback from a bunch of users all over the place. It's always very interesting to to see people that say like, no, 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 I want more functionality, and then. Mm-hmm. There's another group of people say like, no, it's too much. I want less functionality. So there's no such thing as an app that um, will satisfy the requirements of all users. You have to make choices, right? So you, as a product company, you put it out there. You have to make choices, and that means you cannot satisfy everybody's needs. Um, just go for the biggest group you can, and learn from from feedback you get from people that are not really uh, that enthusiastic about your your application. Uh, but it's it's about making choices and and having having a, a philosophy for your application, uh, and that will be in, in the end the most successful way of, of building it. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. I think that it's it's there's no way to please everyone, and you're gonna have to make design choices. But um, it, before we we really dig into that and, and get into some of the the interesting design problems and, and testing problems that can arise. I just wanted to, to stay on this Facebook thing a little bit and get your thoughts as someone who works in the testing space on uh, the news story that broke in the past few weeks or about Facebook um, using their sort of reach to test what effect uh, a Facebook feed and the content of that feed had on people's emotions and what yeah. you think of is sort of the responsibility that because uh, you know and, and we think about we think of scientific testing mm-hmm. we think about mm-hmm. you know ethics and responsibility but I think that there is an element where some especially social apps are going to have to worry about the ethical component of their A/B testing and, and I was wondering if you had yeah. some thoughts about that yeah not, uh, to um, if you look at the design documents of of Android uh, how the, the Android team of Google uh, has put it out there that really explicitly states that your application will have a certain effects and should have a certain effect on the emotions of people. Uh-huh. And going uh, from where we were like 30 years ago, where you know you were happy if you had like um, an MS-DOS machine that can run like word processing, um, using software is becoming so pervasive in, in our way of life that in a way, um, it will always have a certain effect on our, our emotions. And if you want to, to become a really successful application builder, to think about how you can influence emotion, to how you can make somebody happy um, by you know achieving that goal, but like having having like little funny things in in your application where you just make somebody you know, put a smile on somebody's face. I think that's extremely important and will become more and more important as, as far as we go and more we interact with, with software. So that they do that testing is, is extremely, um, um, makes a lot of sense to, to me that I want to know, okay, how do we do best in, in influencing our, our um, emotions of, of, of our users? The, the question is, should they have told people Okay, we're going to be toying around with uh, with this. Um, I think for us in the industry, it is kind of a known secret that it just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, you know, should we be more upfront about this? Um, and I think as an industry, we should be more upfront about this. I think A/B testing will have a functional part, but it will also have an emotional part. 
Um, it's not that Facebook was trying to get people to, you know, feel really sad or, or extremely happy, um, have a massive impact on your emotion. It's just like little things that we're going for. And, mm-hmm. and as I said, like emotion is a, an, a, has become an emotional, an, an important part of, of software usage. So that they're testing that is, is it makes sense. Um, but we, we, yeah, we, I think we have, as an industry, have to do a better job at explaining to our users that this is what what, what is going on, uh, and maybe you know certain cases where where you're going to be um, looking into certain items that might have a massive impact, you you should do it via a closed beta group where you select people and say explicitly upfront like, hey, this is what we're going to be doing. Um, do you agree to that or not? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that that's a great point, and you know it's. It's, I, I feel like this comes up whenever I'm talking to anyone in the industry who works with testing or data or any of these sort of more sensitive issues. Transparency is always critical to, to maintaining not only sort of not only sort of just ethically, but but to maintaining user trust. It's it's key. But I think it, it ties in also to a point that you made earlier, which is that um when you have a test group, the fact that it is a test is always going to be a factor. You know, you can't I, yep. Sort of you try and when, when you're testing in any environment, you try and make it as, as remove as much of the artifice of the test as possible. But you can never remove that sort of basic level of this is not real life. I am in a survey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, it, it becomes this tricky issue where it, it's hard to tell how much if you tell people, oh, we're going to be testing whether or not the emotional content of your social feed, how that affects your emotional content. Do you agree to this? Yes, ethically, that's the correct thing to do. But it's also hard to tell how, whether people are going to be looking for that now, mm-hmm, whether mm-hmm. or not you're going to get an accurate reflection. And the thing is that yeah. feed is going to, is going to affect people regardless. Um, and, you know, most apps don't, don't have this huge an effect on people, but I think it's, it's worth thinking about that kind of, of thing when you're thinking about testing in the real world and A-B testing. Um, yeah. This isn't really a question I'm, I'm realizing, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just think it's an interesting issue. Yeah, it's, so, so um, I've been a software engineer for, for 15 years, but um, my background is actually in psychology. And this part where we're touching upon right now is like that setting where you do your experiment is an extremely big factor always in psychological research where um, if you put somebody under a test, like if they know like human beings, um, they alter their behavior all of the time uh, yeah. depending on the circumstances. And as, as the, the earlier example that I gave, is like you give somebody 10 bucks to test your application, you're going to ask them the question, do you like my application? Of course, they're going to say yes. It's, you know, that's, that's a clear case of social desirability. Uh, why they will reply in a way that you know, normally in the real life actually helps you with your life uh, as, as a group of people to bond together, uh, but it completely um, you know, steers your, your research in a certain direction. And that's why testing where an individual doesn't know what you're testing is extremely important to, uh, to do. So, you know, in particular with like emotional parts, so one thing you can do is say like, hey, we're going to be testing, um, you know, your response speeds, whereas you're actually testing somewhere else. You can kind of toy around with that, but then still you have to be careful with, um, you know, if, if you do it completely an opposite way, these, these people might still feel tricked 
uh, and, and believing that they were about to test it on their response speed, whereas it was actually something completely different. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, it's, it's an interesting field. And, uh, I, I found it amazing uh, to try to find out solutions where what is works, works best. Uh, and the, and, and the, long, the, the short answer is there are always um, advantages and disadvantages to certain ways of, of doing your testing. Uh, and that's why it's probably best to you know, use multiple ways of, of testing and get results from different ways and combine those, uh, use the input of, of all, all of those uh, and combine those in, in um Take take that input for uh, for working out your your application. Yeah, no, it's it's a fascinating issue, and there there's no there's no easy answers with this sort of thing. Um, but but I think to sort of keep going on on the artifice of testing, because it reminded me of something that we were discussing uh, in the lead up to recording this podcast, which is um, gaze tracking, mm-hmm. sort of the more like technical components of testing. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how valuable do you think the more sort of overtly attest techniques like that where you have someone in a controlled environment and you're tracking their eye movement or their where they're touching on an app can be as long as that sort of more more like I mean you get more obviously quantitative data about where people are looking at and that mm-hmm. has value but also that is under how valuable can that information be when it's under this extremely imposed and extremely sort of uh, this sort of test environment where people are thinking, well, they're, they're tracking where my eyes are looking. And yeah, that's obviously yeah, an influence yeah. where you look, which, you know, is not something that most people normally think about. Yeah. And so those techniques are, are extremely valuable. Um, the goal mostly of those lab tests is um, uh, the goal is to figure out, okay, somebody's in a screen, um, does it make sense? Does the person know how to operate it? Right. So it's it's definitely a lab situation. So so don't try to um, figure out if if they like the application that much. It's about how easy is it for them to to operate it. Uh, and I think for that, like uh, gaze tracking, the lab in general, where you just look at somebody and look at the way they're using their application is extremely valuable. Um, in particular, I mean, the, the, what, what normally happens is that you, you have an app out there or, or you have done some quantitative testing on your application and you see like there's a, there's a certain point in the flow where there's an extreme drop-off. Where like, hey, you're booking a flight via a mobile application for an airline. Mm-hmm. Um, they have found the destination. They have found where they're flying from. Uh, and now they want to go to the next step, and that drop off is like fifty percent. Like, and we were, you were expecting it to be like five percent, but it's like fifty percent. Then that's the ideal situation where you go into a lab situation where you put a few users um, in front of the application, and you track extremely well what they look at, um, what they're doing. You ask them to think out loud. And then you'll find out, like, probably there's, there's a screen that is really confusing to them. Or it seems like, hey, I haven't you know, selected my dates yet, but you want me to pay already. That doesn't make sense, right? So mm-hmm. um, and, and that situation it, it, it is extremely valuable to go in and, and look into detail, like, how are these users operating the, um, uh, the application? Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a... That's an an interesting use case. Um, and I think that that's, that there is some real value in that sort of thing. But, um, 
how do you think for a small developer who doesn't have, who, you know, and we discussed the, the sort of lack of resources mm-hmm. that affects testing for a lot of these developers. How do you find a balance uh, between sort of wider scale testing uh, where, where you're trying to identify those problems and, and something more like that, where you've honed in on the problem and, uh, and you've identified it and you're, and you're trying to, to figure out how you can get uh, past that one specific screen problem or where that one specific fault line is in your user flow. Do you think yeah. that, uh, do you think that it's sort of that, that it's, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on which is something that this develop smaller developers should be focusing on, or if you need to find a balance? Well, for, for most of these forms of testing, there are like the expensive version and the lesser expensive version. So like the, the gaze tracking that equipment, you're talking about tens of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actual setup, you need a lab, like a real office where everything is under control. Um, you'll get great video out of that. Um, but for all of the te- testing forms, are always like, you know, the cheaper version. And in this case, for like gaze tracking, sometimes what I just do is, is tell them, okay, let's just get some people in and we're just going to sit next to them and we're going to be looking over his shoulder uh, maybe have two people see what's going on um, and that will, you know, you, you have no record of what's going on, right? Because you're only seeing it and you have to, you know, memorize it in your own brains, but it gives you the same input as uh, more or less what you'll get out of, out of gaze tracking. So they're always like, you know, the cheaper versions of, you know, these really expensive forms of testing. And I, I think that is actually extremely easy to do. You can just go to a coffee shop, say to somebody like, hey, can I buy a coffee and get like 15 minutes of your time and just give them the application. And I think you should always shoot for that to, you know, always try to do a bit of quantitative testing and a bit of qualitative testing to figure out how you can improve your application. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the, the balance is, is key. Um, and I just wanted to, to, before we wrap up, get your thoughts on... Um, on sort of the new the new sort of emerging trend in, in that we're seeing a lot of people talking about now in the mobile space is, is more and more connected devices and the Internet of mm-hmm. Things and wearables. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, do you think that the testing environment is going to change around those? Like, do you think that you need to, uh, like, how, how do you think you, you need to be testing an app that has a wearable attached to it or that depends on you having, you know, a connected home uh, to use the app in, or runs on you know an yeah. Apple Home or a, or a or a Nest's kind of system. Do you think that that's going to require us to rethink the way we're thinking about testing applications, or is it just a slight modification? I mean, I'm really excited one for for the whole new category of devices that are coming out where with with the wearables. Um, they're coming along. I mean, obviously, Apple has announced their first watch, so so we're definitely getting ready uh, to to embrace the kind of technology. Uh, but it's still pretty new, right? Yeah. Uh, one is pretty new. Second, what's really important to know about this is 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 more and more and more these pieces of software will become uh, an integral part of our daily lives, mm-hmm. and that actually means to me that user testing, and, and I would call this user experience testing, is becoming more and more important because it's, it's a lot about friction. And 
removing friction. So um, Google Glasses, for instance, a very good example of a, a new kind of technology that you know, we might want or as, as an industry or that I as, as a user might want, but there's friction from the people around me that really feel like opposed to the idea that you're looking at them at the same time you're looking at your computer or you might be taking pictures of them. Um, the, I think that's a really interesting example of where you know, sociology and, and, and computer science is, is at odds a little bit. Uh, like as, as human beings, we're kind of not used to using the kind of technology. And I think that's actually fine. I, I'm not sure if we're going to that point where in 10 years' time, everybody will wear some kind of a Google Glass piece of equipment on, on their body. Uh, but, but it's a really interesting part. And, and um, you know, mobile phones, like 15 years ago, everybody was like, well, or, well, let's say 20 years. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, you'll be like, well, mobile phones, well, I don't um, sell and buy stock on a stock exchange, so I don't need to be reached every single um, moment of the day, right? Whereas now, can you imagine, like, to a teenager, to tell them, like, you don't need a mobile phone, and <laughs> I want to uh, give me your mobile phone, like, you know, they'll, they'll give up anything before they give up their mobile phone, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's, that's a really interesting part. Um, but apart from Google Glass, like, a lot of these wearables are, so there's, there's two two categories of wearables. One is, is you know, carrying input from you. Yeah. So then we're talking about like uh, the Fitbits, mm-hmm. uh, something that will measure your heart rate or other parts of uh, your, your bodily functions. And then there's like um, devices that you actually operate, which is more of like the Google Glass category. Or, or, mm-hmm. or I guess the watch is like both. Like yeah. the Apple Watch has like sensors in it to do heartbeats um, detection. I know Samsung is working on technology to do uh, a lot of um, or, or tap into all your bodily functions and, and gather that data for for health. And going back to friction, I think with with all those wearables, in particular, like the ones that just gather input from you. I think removing as much friction as possible is extremely important. You should actually not be aware that you're wearing those devices. So um, there's like, I mean, these separate devices, like the Fitbits, uh, there are companies working on, on actual clothing that has have these, 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 these input devices just in the fabric. So you just put on a shirt and by magic, it just knows your heart rate, it knows how fast you've been running, um, uh, your oxygen level in your blood, those kind of things. And mm-hmm. if, if that will be something really annoying to wear, like, you know, you, you go to the gym right now, you can get like a heart rate meter that you just tie around your chest. And that's okay for the gym, but would you walk around with that 24 hours, uh, seven days a week? I, I guess the answer to that is no. So then it's about now removing friction. Um, and it's then the question is, okay, so how do you test that, right? That's, I think that's the important question to get at right, right now. And then that's, that's going to be really interesting to find that out. Um, and what I actually find mostly interesting in, in this, what we're talking about in the beginning, is about that emotional part. Yeah. So once we get people to wear certain wearables, for instance, at Apple Watch, and we can read out these 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 vitals and attach them to a certain emotion. That will make life of everybody so much easier. Like so, if we if we we have somebody wearing an Apple Watch, we know they're happy. At the same time, we gave them that shirt is going to track a lot of other 
bodily functions uh, and is still happy or actually happier, then we know we're good, right? Um, because what, one problem with, with, with user testing is always like you need to get information out of that human being. And human beings are actually extremely bad at reporting their own um, motivations, uh, why did they do something, uh, their own state of mind. Um, if you ask them, what are your intentions, do you intend to buy this app or, or this piece of hardware, they'll say yes, but then, you know, two days later, you put them in a store and, you know, you give them that money and, like, and the next day, they're like, no, I'm not going to buy it. Um, so, so having, like, some something that they cannot influence that well doesn't require a lot of thought as, as that emotional input of, of body functions that's going to be amazing to uh, use that for uh, usability tracking, uh, uh, testing. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you brought up that, that emotional component because the first thing that I thought of, when especially when you mentioned Google Glass, was to sort of, was returning to that question of, of the emotional impact and, and how do you test that? Because, you know, with a, with especially with a technology as, as uh, I guess, intrusive, uh, not, not using that word in sort of the negative connotation, mm-hmm. like the literal sense of you have a, a screen that is intruding between you, between the world and your primary way of perceiving the world around yeah. you. And that's a, it's, it's incredible what that could potentially, what things on that screen could potentially do to the way you think about the world and how you're feeling. And it's, and it's, um, it's going to be hard to, to test that without, without sort of more controversies like the one we had with Facebook. But but you know, but then again, you have you have to test these sort of things. So I guess um, I I mean I think that as these technologies grow, you're going to see more controversies like that one. Um, yeah, coming yeah, out. Yeah, and I just yeah. wanted to, to get your thoughts on whether you think we're going to see more of, of that emerging and more discussion about that and, and product perhaps a productive discussion, or uh, do you see a different future for testing? No, uh, but both for, for real worlds, you know, application of, of these kind of devices and, and also the forms of testing that we use. I think it's really, really good to have a discussion around that. Uh, the bad thing is that mostly this is, what, what happens is there's, there's an outrage and now some, some company is trying to do something. Uh, and then, you know, there's a, there's a backlash because some reporter finds something and writes something. Um, there always should be, you know, if, as as a company, if you're trying to put out some new technology, I think it would be best to just say it out loud, like saying, like, hey, we actually think this is going to be an issue. I think the way now Google Glass is, is kind of launched, well, it's not, I mean, it's been out there for, for over a year, I guess. Yeah. But it's not out live. Um, I mean, or maybe in US they start selling directly now. But it's it's definitely not a not a mass market product yet, right? With a price, etc. Yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's out, but it's it's still very very expensive. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, so, uh, so I guess that way actually helps to gradually start the discussion around uh, certain items. Um, I th- I think. Technology has uh, an impact on our lives. Will have more impact, and we we have to have these discussions. Like, you know, what do you take pictures of? Um, what do you not take pictures of? Where do you store it? Um, having you know a party where you know somebody else takes a picture of you, where you're kind of drunk. Like, do you want that kind of information to be out there? And it's not only about technology, right? It's about you know how our, our ways are, what are our, what are our ethical 
ways of, of dealing with with technology, and and it's not only up to us as as you know the tech industry, but to us as a whole society to actually make decisions about that and, and figure out how we want to move move forward. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a really interesting question, and you know. People talk about uh, software becoming more and more part of our daily lives, but that is, you know, there's two sides of that coin. It, it's going to these are the kinds of what were industry uh, ethical discussions were are going to become mainstream discussions, and it's gonna that's going to take some education and some some real. There's going to be some outrage, and it, it's it's going to be an interesting process for everyone involved. But um, but we have been we have been talking about ethics and testing for like thirty minutes, and I think mm-hmm. that's fascinating. But uh, but about all the time we have, and thank you for coming on. This has been yes. fantastic. And uh, and the next time there is some sort of of big brouhaha about something that someone has done to test their user or to or influence their user's emotion, I will be sure to have you on again, and and uh, and we'll talk it out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a great conversation, Jacob. So thank you very much. All right. Thanks for coming on, Derek. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Voices of the Industry. For more podcasts, visit the Apps Alliance at devsbuild.it or subscribe on iTunes.